Welcome to our first radio. Welcome to our first episode of Innovation in Myeloma. Um, this is a weekly interview series that connects multiple myeloma patients with experts in myeloma and gives them insight into their research and clinical trials in an easy-to-understand format. Uh, my name is Jenny Alstrom, and I will host this show. I and other myeloma patients will host future shows, but I'm a multiple myeloma patient who was diagnosed in August of 2010. Um, I went through three years of treatment and now in remission. And we have with us today, we are very honored to have with us Dr. Robert Orlowski. He is the head of myeloma research or the myeloma practice at MD Anderson, the University of Texas, MD MD Anderson Cancer Center. And he is also my doctor. Um, I'm thrilled to have been treated by him, and um, thank you, Dr. Olowski, for joining us. Information out to patients is really important, and I want to congratulate you on the effort that you're making in that regard. To talk about clinical trials, I think it's important to try to look at all of the different areas in multiple myeloma. So let's start with so-called smoldering multiple myeloma. Many patients with myeloma at some time in the past before they were diagnosed may have had what's called MGUS or monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance and some of them may have had what's called smoldering myeloma. In the past, we did not treat patients with either one of those conditions, in Mm -hmm. part because for some of them, the risk of progression was quite low. More recently, though, we've been able to identify some patients who are at especially high risk and there's an increasing trend to think about trying to treat those patients with the thought that perhaps we could reduce the amount of myeloma and therefore delay the time until they develop symptoms and maybe even cure the disease because the earlier you treat in general, the more sensitive the myeloma. So we have a study. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So we have a study coming up with a monoclonal antibody to a target called PD-1, and there's been a lot of excitement about this class of drugs which are already approved for melanoma. The thought is that cancer suppresses the patient's immune system, which is one way that it's able to spread And what this antibody actually does is it takes the breaks off the immune system. And what we're hoping is that it will help the patient's own immune system to get rid of at least some, if not all, the myeloma. And the other advantage is that because this is an antibody, which is a different class of drugs, it hopefully would not cause any cross-resistance to other drugs that we use if the patient's disease does later progress. Now, are you targeting just the smoldering and MGUS patients for that? Right. Yeah, right now for that study, it's the high-risk smoldering patients. 
But if the study were to show encouraging information, then it could later be expanded to include patients with lower-risk smoldering myeloma and maybe eventually even to MGUS patients, although I think that's a little bit more speculative because the risk with MGUS of progression is usually so low, only about 1% per year, that I think it will be a while before we use treatment in those patients. Okay, and is this an active or open trial that you have going on? This is a trial that we're finalizing the protocol for, Mm -hmm. and we hope to therefore have it open in the next four months or so, at which point it would be active and enrolling. And how many patients would you target that you could enroll in that trial? Well, the study is designed in such a way that first there's a small trial component to see if we have responses, and if there are responses, then the trial would be enlarged to allow more patients to enroll. Mm -hmm. So right now we're not 100% sure what the total will be because it depends on how well the strategy works. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Now, I know when I started searching clinicaltrials.gov, I found over... 540 open myeloma trials. So I had a lot of information, but no context. And so I know that you've, you are a pioneer in many fields, and I know that you were working towards this um, antibody type, having your own immune system attack. These cancer cells, I know you've done significant research in the proteasome inhibitors as well, and um, doing some homework a little bit for you. Um, I came to find out that you were the one that your father um, discovered the first proteasome inhibitor with a colleague and that you went on to kind of continue that work and ran the first Vilcade trial, which I didn't know as your patient. I thought that was fascinating. That's true. Uh, You know, some people get the family business when they grow up, and other people get the family research field as an inheritance. So I was in the second category. Well, we're very lucky that you were. So if you could categorize any other fields that you're working on, um, I know you can kind of say, um, you know, the proteasome inhibitors, and in the olden days, you know, they used the the chemotherapies like the melphalan only with the dexamethasone and all these different groups have have kind of built up for the patients that are listening would you help us kind of categorize these different areas of research so into buckets i guess that we can understand Well, before we leave immunotherapies, I thought I would let you know about a couple of other studies that are going on at MD Anderson because we're really excited about immunotherapies. One study that's open right now, and you know a lot about transplant having gone through Mm -hmm. that, where you get the high doses of melphalan, And melphalan is good because it kills myeloma cells, but also can cause some damage to normal cells. And usually the transplant alone is not enough because you need some treatment afterwards as you received. 
Right. One of the things we're trying to do now, again, with the thought of stimulating the immune system, is that we're actually taking blood from patients with myeloma before the transplant, isolating the myeloma protein, or what's also called the M protein, or monoclonal spike. We're then giving that to patients before the transplant as a vaccine to try to increase the number of T cells, which are a type of immune cell that react against that protein. Then we collect those T cells, expand them in the laboratory, and after patients get the high-dose melphalan, we give them back these expanded T cells, basically their own cells that they're getting back, plus additional vaccines against this myeloma protein. And this is actually supported by a large grant from the National Cancer Institute called a SPORE grant. And what we're again trying to do is to boost the patient's own immune system to help it get rid of even more myeloma than would be possible with just the melphalan alone. So that's a trial that's open right now. And again, we're very excited about it because, as you pointed out, there are a lot of different drugs, small molecules like proteasome inhibitors and immunomodulatory drugs and steroids and alkylating agents that are used in myeloma. But one of the things that we haven't done enough of is to use the immune system to help with the battle. So hopefully this will be a good step and briefly, I'll mention one other study, which is very similar, but targeting instead patients with something called Waldenstrom macroglobulinemia. This is a less common condition than myeloma, but it is a related cancer where you can detect an abnormal protein in the blood, and some of the same complications as in myeloma can occur, including anemia and fatigue and infections and kidney damage. So what we're doing in this study is we're taking the cancer cells themselves from the patient. We're purifying, again, this time the gene that leads to production of the abnormal protein and then that gene is going to be injected back into the patient with some modification to try to stimulate an immune response. And again, the goal is to try to help the patient's own immune system do a better job of getting rid of their disease. And that study is going to be open later this year as well for patients who don't yet have symptoms with the goal of maybe preventing the disease from growing or maybe curing it altogether. And I think looking towards the future, this kind of combination approach is going to be probably the way that we start to cure more and more patients with myeloma and related diseases, meaning that we'll do a combination of chemotherapy, stem cell transplant, and then some kind of immunotherapy. Now, with the these two that you talked about, the spore and this newer one that's coming up, can you tell me how patients 
could um, enroll in those or how they could know if they're qualified. I know sometimes trying to find out if you're qualified for a clinical trial might be pretty difficult. And can you help us with that? Sure, that's a great question. One of the best websites to look up is clinicaltrials.gov, G-O-V. This is a website which is sponsored by the National Cancer Institute, and virtually every clinical trial for every disease, not just myeloma, but every trial that is being run both in the United States and many that are being run in other countries is listed. There's a very good search engine. All you have to do is put in myeloma, and you can also add other parts to the search. For example, if you only want to look at trials in Texas, or trials within a certain distance of your own location, you can put that in there, and it will give you a list of all of the trials with a particular disease or with a particular drug. And the listings provide important information because they have inclusion and exclusion criteria. These are the things that determine whether a patient can or cannot be eligible. And also, there usually should be information about the physicians and nurses that are running the studies, which include phone numbers and, in some cases, email addresses. And that way, if you're not sure, based on what's on the website, you can call the site which is running the trial, which is nearest to you, and look it up that way. In terms of MD Anderson, I can give you my email address, which is R-O-R-L-O-W-S-K at mdanderson.org. Or we also have a referral line, which is toll-free. It's 855-MYELOMA. Not that difficult to remember. And so patients can always either contact me directly or just call into our referral center to get some information. That's terrific. Now, go, let me go back for a minute and then ask an additional question. Um, the SPORE study that you're doing, is that an, currently open? Because I did this on clinicaltrials.gov and found you can also search by name. So when I searched by your name, it looked at, as though you had 10 open clinical trials, additionally more that are in progress but 10 that are open. So is this considered one of the open trials? Is this one that's in process right now? Or what's the The, status of that, the SPORE? Yep, the study which is being done with the vaccination and then the T-cell approach is Mm -hmm. currently open. And one of the parts of the search engine, by the way, is that you can look it up based on who is the principal investigator, But do keep in mind that, for example, at a larger place like ours, we have six physicians who specialize in seeing myeloma patients, and some of these studies are being run by different physicians. So just looking up one physician's name may not give you the Mm. whole spectrum of what's going on at the institution. Okay, that's great to know. Can you tell us a little bit more about the myeloma practice at MD Anderson? Sure. 
Well, we have a large practice, as you can imagine. I mentioned that there are six physicians, and by the way, we are recruiting for another new physician. Most of the time, we can get patients in within three or four days for an appointment if they call for a consultation. We have a number of clinical trials which span the globe in terms of covering patients with newly diagnosed myeloma, myeloma that has relapsed, and also myeloma that has been refractory. And we also have a lot of new drug trials for people that are looking for new possibilities for therapy. And unfortunately, we still need more drugs to try to get to the point where we can cure the myeloma. And so there's a couple of drugs that we're particularly excited about. There's a trial we have with a drug called ARRY520. It doesn't yet have a name, but it's shown a response rate of up to 30% in patients with myeloma that has stopped responding to other drugs like Velcade, Revlimid, and Decadron. We also have some upcoming studies with new classes of molecules. will be a site for studies with daratumumab, which is an exciting new antibody that looks like it works by itself against mm -hmm. myeloma. And we talked about the benefits of antibodies earlier. And we also will have, probably at the beginning of 2014, a study with an what's called antisense oligonucleotide against STAT3. STAT3 is an important protein for myeloma survival, and what these antisense oligonucleotides do is they prevent the myeloma cells from being able to make this protein. And so that's a totally different class of drugs mm -hmm. and one that we're excited about because we hope that they'll help in myeloma therapy. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so as a general question, I know that about less than 5% of patients, um, cancer patients and myeloma patients, join clinical trials. But the Cancer Network did a study where they asked patients, and over 70% said they would be willing to participate in a clinical trial. So from your perspective, because you have run many clinical trials and have many patients, what do you see is the is the challenge in enrolling patients, and then how can we overcome that? Yeah, those are great questions. One of the advantages of clinical trials are that, first of all, you may get access to new drugs that have already been shown to be active against myeloma, but may not have yet gotten FDA approval. And the other benefit, of course, is that the more patients that go on clinical trials, the more quickly drug development will go, and the more rapidly, therefore, new drugs will be approved. But I think the reasons why people don't go on studies usually fall into a couple of categories. First of all, not every patient is being treated in a place where clinical trials are available. And so you have to be able to have the ability to look around and in some cases travel beyond where you're being treated 
And that sometimes can be expensive and not very convenient, so that's often one barrier. Mm-hmm. A second barrier sometimes is that patients get worried that perhaps they will be on a placebo, but most of the studies that look at myeloma patients do not include placebos, and most of them have the fully active drug. So that's always a good question to ask, but usually the answer is that there is no placebo involved. Other things are that patients don't always know about the availability of trials, even in the places they're being treated, and that's why, as we talked about earlier, some of these websites like clinicaltrials.gov would be very important because the more patients know about what treatment options are available, the more options they'll have, and hopefully, therefore, the better they will do. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Now, I have a question, because when you talk about having multiple trials, like the immunotherapies and the antisense and the spore, um, how would a patient go about determining which approach they would want to take? Well, that's also a good question. A lot of times, one of the reasons we have multiple studies open is that, first of all, they're targeting different types of patients, and they may have different criteria. We try in a large place like MD Anderson to have at least one study that fits everybody who walks in the door. If patients have more than one option, which would be a good thing as far as I'm concerned, the best way to decide is to discuss the situation with their families and also with their caregivers, which include the physicians and the nurses that are involved, and to make a decision that way. Sometimes if you have a choice between two different drugs and one of them has a longer track record and has already shown activity, it may be appropriate for the patient to pick that one because if the other drug is still relatively unknown, most people like to go with the one that has a better track record. Other considerations could be convenience. Some of the drugs are given orally. Some of them are given by injection, which can be very quick or by an IV that can take a long time. And if they don't have the ability to stay in a location for very long, let's say the trial is out of town, then it makes more sense to pick the one that is using the drug which is given orally because that's going to be much more convenient. So usually those are some of the factors that come into play. Other issues are what are the known side effects of the drugs. As one example, if a patient has neuropathy, either because of the myeloma or because of previous drug treatment, and one of the options that they have is another drug which may cause neuropathy, then Mm -hmm. you probably want to avoid that particular study and go with another drug that doesn't have any neuropathy associated with it. Yeah, I great. Thank you so much. Okay, if a study is offered at multiple facilities, how does a patient know that? 
Usually, if you go on to clinicaltrials.gov and look up a particular trial that you're interested in, it will list at the bottom, usually, of the entire page all of the institutions that are participating, and you can see whether they are actively recruiting or not. As you're pointing out, there are different trials. Some of them are open only at one institution or two. Some of them are open at 30 or 40, and that website will have a list of which sites are open. It's always a good idea also to call ahead just to be sure because occasionally a trial, even if it's active, may be temporarily closed because some of the data are being analyzed. So before you actually make arrangements to go to University of XYZ to get onto a study, it's always a good idea to call ahead and make sure that the trial is open and available. Okay, great. Uh, so you, I know you've been obviously involved in research for many, many years. And from your perspective, if there was one thing that could help speed up the progress to find a cure, what would it be? I think what you've mentioned earlier is exactly the most important thing, which is to have more patients be involved in clinical trials. Because if we could increase the number to double what we currently have, that would mean that we could evaluate drugs twice as quickly. In order to get a drug approved by the Food and Drug Administration, the pharmaceutical companies usually have to run large studies, which can be anything from 200 all the way up to six or 700 patients. And in addition to enrolling the patients, of course, they have to be treated, and then the data how well the myeloma responds, for example. The data have to be collected and analyzed. And if we could cut the time needed to finish enrollment in half, then we could get the drugs that work approved much more quickly and out to patients, therefore, much more quickly. Okay, thank you. That's what we're trying to help do. <laughs> that would be great. Okay, we have a few callers, and... Um, if anyone has a question that they would like to ask, you can press 1 on your keypad and we can ask a question for Dr. Olowski. I know, Dr. Olowski, you have to go in about five minutes. Um, if someone has a question, great. If not, I'd kind of like to go back to your antisense um, study uh -huh. and just learn a, a little bit more about that. Well, the advantage of some of the antisense technologies gets back to what the difference is between drugs that are small molecules and drugs that are big molecules. Small molecules, and this would include things like melphalan, velcade, revlimid, caprolis, pomalist, they're so small that they can get into every cell in the body and they have effects on, therefore, multiple targets, mm -hmm. and some of those effects can lead to side effects. Drugs like antibodies or antisense molecules, which are much larger, are much more specific. The antibodies, for example, will often attach 
predominantly only to myeloma cells. The antisense molecules only affect certain genes inside cells and leave all the other genes untouched. And therefore, what we hope is that we get a much more specific effect with fewer side effects and when you have fewer side effects, of course, patients feel better, they have a better quality of life, and they're better able to tolerate treatment because we want not just to kill the myeloma cells, but we want to do so while preserving the patient's ability to do all of their daily activities and other pursuits. Yeah, I'm, I vote thumbs up for that <laughs> completely. Okay, we have one caller, and... Um, we will take their call. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, can, can you hear you me? Uh huh. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, we're in Florida, and my husband has been battling multiple myeloma for four years. Um, various drugs, off and on, and um, most recently it was. Is it carfizumab? I'm sorry, I may not be saying it right. Um, no, you did good. <laughs> not being uh, really successful on that, only two cycles. Most recently we had something come up, and we're going to be going um, next week for our biopsy results. Um, there's a possibility he now has lymphoma. So we're very concerned because, um, uh, you know, he had a um, something removed in his axillary area of a couple of months ago, and they thought it was just a cutaneous anaplastic uh, large cell lymphoma. I think that's what they called it. But now there are areas lighting up on the PET scan. I said all that. I'm sorry if I said too much. But um, there's a possibility that it may be systemic lymphoma. I'm not trying to jump the gun, but I'm real concerned if we really are battling two huge monsters in our mind at one time. If that is the case... Have you guys had a lot of experience out at MD Anderson doing that with both at, in one individual at the same time? Well, there are patients who unfortunately have myeloma plus another cancer, and right. part of that is because the immune system often in patients with myeloma is not as strong. And also some of the therapies may increase the risk of other cancers, for example, the melphalan at the time of transplant. Right. If the, your husband really does have cutaneous T-cell lymphoma or anaplastic lymphoma, that, of course, needs to be diagnosed, and we need to make sure that we know what he has. There are treatments available for these diseases, and in some cases, the treatments that are available may be curative. So although the situation, of course, is never good when you have more than one cancer, right. it may be that he can still be cured. But I would suggest that you go to a place to make sure that they have the level of expertise needed because clearly he's not your average patient with myeloma. Right. And um and I'm so sorry, I was trying to jot down your email address earlier and I didn't get it. Oh sure. It's R O R L O W S K. They chopped off my eye for some reason. At M D Anderson dot O R G. 
Okay. But if someone like me or someone else out listening out there, if we wanted to get a consultation, um, did you say it's possible sometimes within three to four days? Sure. Usually what will happen, of course, is that our consult folks want to try to get some records about, in this case, your husband and try to get the biopsies here. But we try to have a wait time of less than a week. And three or four days is usually quite possible unless there's a holiday or something like that. All right, one last question. I'm so sorry if I took sure. up too much time. Um, is it possible that one can go for a consult and then um, maybe start something at MD Anderson but then come back locally and the the local uh, oncologist could work hand-in-hand with you guys? Yeah, definitely. A lot depends on what the recommendation for treatment is and how much experience the local doctor has with that treatment, but we do this very commonly, that we make a recommendation and either all the treatment is done locally or you can start, do the first cycle here, go home, and continue to get additional treatment at home. That's definitely possible. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Olowski, I know you're out of time and you have other appointments. We just so appreciate you taking the time to share what you're doing. Um, we'll invite you to do this again, I hope, and you can join us. Um, what we'd like to do is to create a doctor directory that is kind of a companion to this radio series that patients can go and find doctors with links to their particular clinical trials as well. So we'd like to invite you to participate in that as well. But thank you so much for your time. Well, it's my pleasure. I'd be very happy to do this again and Next time, we can try to make it longer to allow other folk to call in with questions as well. I agree. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.